No Sleep Till Belmont is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real-time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals, with prices up to 60% off. Islanders coming up, they got a game in Brooklyn against the Penguins, and then they go out to California. Those California teams, they can be tough tickets to get, but... If you check out Game Time, you might be able to scoop up some last-minute tickets for a good deal if you're an Islanders fan out west. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Howdy, everybody. It's Arthur Staple. Islanders beat writer from The Athletic, and welcome back to No Sleep Till Belmont, the Athletics Islanders podcast. Here with you every week, and so, so happy to be rejoined by my esteemed co-hosts, Mark Parrish. Mark, it's good to have you back, my friend. Oh, it's it's good to be back. It's good to be back. I missed you guys. (laughs) Well, we missed you. Uh, My thanks to Katie Strang, my colleague, uh, for pinch hitting on our Tuesday episode last week, and thanks to all the Twitter followers, uh, Islander fans out there who sent in copious amounts of questions for me to, to get through all the talking that I had to do on our bonus episode. But now we're back as a duo, and we can talk about um, a week last week that was uh, pretty eventful for the Islanders, even though they only had two games. Uh, a couple of one-goal wins that looked very different. Um, John Tavares <laughs> and the Leafs came in last Wednesday to the Coliseum, and... Uh, he did not get the the extremely rough reception that he had previously um, last year. There were plenty of boos every time he touched the puck and stepped on the ice and all that stuff, and then he ended up scoring a goal late in the game. Um, but really, this felt more like, uh, as I wrote after the game, it felt it, where last year when when the Islanders were playing the Leafs the first couple of times, it was it seemed more a referendum on Barry Trotz and the Islanders and where they had come in his first year. Uh, and the first post-Tavares year and how they could sort of prove themselves against a team like the Leafs that were humming pretty good uh, both of those times, one just after Christmas up in Toronto and then the one at the Coliseum with all the chants and everything. And this year, um, with all of the Leafs' injuries and struggles and Mike Babcock on the hot seat, it sort of felt like the reverse. It felt like (laughs) the Islanders are the team that we know what they are and what they can do. And the Leafs are the ones where we're looking at going, I don't know about these guys. And that's really, other than those two late goals, six on five goals that the Leafs got, that's really how the game played out. The Islanders were, uh, you know, it was, it was a bit of a back and forth, but the Islanders, as they do to most teams this year, find a way to get the lead and they found a way to extend it with a, with a big power play goal from Derek Broussard. And they just looked like the much more, confident team and and who could have ever thought that when Tavares left uh you know 17 <laughs> months ago 18 months ago it's uh it's it's funny how uh different the difference a year can make uh yeah it and obviously it, it hurts when you when you with a guy like John Tavares uh for the fan base for the team for everyone involved it's it's it stings when a guy like that decides to leave your organization and go play for somebody else. And I think there was a lot of the, the open wounds last year with the fan bases. And you expect that, 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 that they're going to get booed. And yes, there's still going to be a contingent that the contingency, that, excuse me, contingent that still will boo him and still be upset for as long as he comes, but that'll slowly fade over time. But the, the, the thing that I like about it is that not just the players in the organization, but the fans now are reason, realizing that, Hey, 
well, we don't need John Tavares to be a very, very, very good hockey team in this league. And I, pe- people are starting to move on and realize that. And that's what I love about this Islanders team this year is their belief in that. Yeah, they get a couple of Toronto gets a couple of six on five goals to kind of keep it or make it somewhat good late. But at that point, who cares? The game is over. A lot of times the teams will, and it's not right. And I know Coach Trotz isn't going to like me saying this, but you, you tend to, you know, you get up a few goals in the end. Well, it's a long season and, and you tend to kind of take your foot off the gas a little bit. Now, it's okay to do that now. Now, coming down the stretch, Coach Trotz is going to go bonkers over that because you've got to play an exact 60 minutes, sometimes 80 minutes, sometimes 100 minutes in the playoffs to get the job done in just one single game of a seven-game series. But you're starting to see that. You're starting to see that, that, that not just the team, but the fan base truly believe in what this Islander team can do and what they can become if they keep moving forward the way they are. Yeah, and, and I think it brings up... Uh, an interesting point, I, you know, Justin Bourne, uh, who writes for us um, at The Athletic, posted a, an interesting column uh, the other day about uh, the Lightning and the Leafs and their struggles this year and whether it's related to this idea that those are two teams that committed to skill several years ago. They obviously committed to skill in the draft. They were identifying, you know, free agents uh, who were high-end skill and maybe forgot about the not the team concept because these are skilled guys that also, you know, I'm not maligning Steven Stamkos or, or John Tavares. Those guys are ultimate team guys and also super skilled. Absolutely. But whether you can whether you can go, whether they sort of jumped the gun on the way the game was going because we have the Blues who are kind of a Western, you know, more skilled, I would say, but a Western conference version of the Islanders who play as a four-line 6D, get in your face, they're going to take a strip off you every time you get in the zone type of team. And the Islanders, who would love to be at that level and be competing for a Stanley Cup uh, and maybe are getting closer uh, every every game, it seems, but also similar style of no flash. We've got a couple of skilled guys, uh, but really what we're going to do is make make you regret coming down into our end with the puck or going back to get a puck. And it's an interesting concept, and the Leafs, you know, everybody's got an expiration date, when it, whether it's Mike Babcock or Scotty Bowman, whoever, you're as a coach, yep. as you know, you, people, you know, players will eventually get tired of the message and turn a different way or whatever, but uh, I wondered what you thought about that, that the idea that uh, a few years ago, coming maybe coming out of the half-year lockout, uh, it started to seem like skill was going to be skill and speed were going to be kind of the the the, the watchwords for for prospects for for players with advanced stats are going to be able to identify spots on the ice that you could get to to score goals and all this stuff and now here we are in 2019-20 the decade's almost ending and we've got a reigning Stanley Cup champion that plays as hard as anybody and <laughs> and the Caps who have tons of skill as well but also will always take a strip off you and the Islanders and those and the Bruins so th- those are three pretty hard-nosed teams in the east that are hard to get that walls kind of building um it it's just an interesting concept to me and I wonder what you thought of it uh, you know it it's it is and it's it's an old adage uh, Herb Brooks hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard that's it's still just as true now as it was in the 70s and the 80s for the Olympic team. And when he was coaching, that, that was a motto of his all along. And it's true because no matter how much skill you have, no matter how much talent you have, if you get flat out outworked, if you don't get to the puck first or if you don't win the battle for the puck, does skill matter at that point? 
So, so that's the beautiful thing. And what I love about hockey so much is that if you outwork the opponent across from you nine times out of 10, you're going to win the game. Yeah. Okay. So there's, there's special teams. There's some other things that can come into play that, that, that you can, you know, get the, you know, win the game with just pure skill. They don't happen as often in hockey as in other sports, right? You know, as, as in other sports, they have, you have to go out there and outwork your opponent. If you don't get the puck first, if you get worked off the puck, well, then it doesn't matter how much skill you have. If your penalty kill, if the penalty kill outworks the other five power play guys, well, then you got the upper hand. So that's the beauty of hockey. And that's what I've always loved about hockey is it doesn't matter how much skill you have is how much adversity can you go through? How, how are you willing to go into that corner and fight for that puck? Is Kucherov willing to go in there and take the bumps and bruises it takes to get that puck to Stamkos is Tavares. And, and now granted that I'm not knocking on a lot of those guys. They, they are, but at the same time, if you're willing to just flat out outwork them and get that puck, you're going to win the hockey game. Yeah. And I think, Thinking back to a couple of the kind of the, the signature moments of that game against Toronto, third period, the Islanders are up by a goal. Anthony Beauvillier scored a, a kind of a greasy one at the end of the second period, which was a period dominated by the Leafs to to get the lead back yep. and, and send them into the third period with the lead. Islanders are on a penalty kill. Sezikis is ragging the puck just inside the Toronto zone. Guys are having a tough time getting it off him. Goes behind the net. He goes sneaks up right on Morgan Riley, picks his pocket, and nearly like sweeps one in. Anderson was pretty alert to make the save, but that shift yeah. maybe drew some of the biggest cheers in the Coliseum. Yeah. The Islanders kill that off. They come right out on the power play. Barzell dances through pretty much every Leafs penalty killer and feeds Broussard, and all of a sudden it's a two-goal game, and it's just that, you know, yeah. it, it, it's. I think it used to be maybe a fight would kind of get people going like that, but I think <laughs> seeing that, a Casey-Sezekis shift, and it's funny, to, we'll talk For about sure. him a little bit more. His 500th game is coming up uh, tonight in Pittsburgh. Um that's the identity of the Islanders. And that, yeah. you know, to me, I think that stands in kind of stark relief at the end of that game when Suzekas looked like he had sewn it up with an empty netter with about two and a half minutes left. He, he kind of flipped a pretty weak backhand and it hopped over Austin Matthews' stick. And Matthews, instead of moving his feet to keep it out of the net, was just sort of waving at it like, a, like yeah. he was trying to swat a fly and it just sort of dribbled into the net. And you're thinking like, man, that guy's one of the one of the six or seven best players in the league and he's not moving his feet. So Exactly. Um, and, and, uh, and like you said, with that, with going into that, uh, with the shift, that penalty kill shift, like you said, the, the fights used to get everybody going. Well, the guys on the bench, that's one of those shifts that the players on the bench have always appreciated. So they're, they're watching Sezikis. They're watching that battle. They're watching that battle. So the next time you get a chance on the power play, you've got to, for those guys, for Sezikis, what he went through, what he did to pre- create that spark or almost score or at least kill off the penalty, now it's your job and it's your job to live up to that hype. And that just builds momentum. And that's what a great teams do. They, they, they feed off of each other's plays. They feed off each other's big plays or momentum and all that. And that's exactly what the Islanders do so very well. Well, fast forward ahead to the only other game of last week, Saturday night in Philly, which uh, we t- you were talking about. You got to play 60, 80, 100 minutes. Well, how about, tw- how about 12, how about 12 and change to keep your point streak going? Sometimes you get, sometimes you get one of those, I guess. It was, uh, it You're just right, seemed, hey, it takes all kinds. Yeah. It seemed like one of those nights and, and I've been in, uh, in the Wells Fargo center, uh, back when it was called 
I mean, I may going back to the spectrum, but first Union Center. It's been called a lot of different oh, things. Oh, hey, now you're bringing it back to my era. You're bringing it back <laughs> to my generation. There. Exactly, exactly. So I've seen. Basically, my point is whether I was covering the Islanders for the last decade or the Rangers of the early 2000s, I've seen some bad games by the team that I cover in that building. Uh, the yeah. Flyers had some had a ridiculous streak against the Islanders in the bridging kind of the end of the 2000s into the 2010s I think it was 28 straight where they didn't lose in regulation to the Islanders some some crazy Good number Lord. yeah it was always they just took their lunch was, money every single time it was like but it's the changed Washington a lot when the I first couple. got there <laughs> um so this game felt a little bit like that it was quick quick goal bad you know a turnover and then a miscommunication they go up one nothing power play goal two nothing Third period, uh, second period. Thomas Grice, who probably hasn't given up maybe one or two bad goals all year, gives up a you know just kind of misses a, an Oscar Lindblom shot off the off the wall on the rush. Three nothing. You're thinking, all right, well, you know, thirteen straight with a point, twelve of those wins. It's got to end sometime. And then in the third period, um, you know, it was it was uh, it was a bad line change by the Flyers that had a couple of them in that game, and the Islanders took advantage with Beauvillier sneaking one through. And then another bad change led to a too many men penalty. I think the Flyers had six guys in their own zone for about 12 seconds before they finally caught it. And that power play that the Islanders had to make it 3-2, we're going to dig in a little bit more on the power play. They've had so few chances, but but yep. how much different it looks than last year, how much more dangerous. And, and is that, do you think, just because of Barzal getting into more of a shooting position, or is it just, it, it seems, or is it kind of collective, all 10 guys on both units seem to just be be focused a little bit more on what they need to be doing. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> on both accounts. Uh, you know, a lot of it has to do with their movement. Uh, they're moving the puck quicker. They're moving their bodies. And, and and the one thing is, is establishing the shot on the power play. So to go along with Barzell, like, so now he's not just the pivot man, he's the quarterback, but he's also a threat to shoot. So it's not just where they would kind of sit back and take his passing lanes and say like, oh, just leave him on the half ball, leave him on the half ball. He's not going to take a step or two in and shoot. Well, all of a sudden, once you establish that shot, and this is the this is the same thing I talk to my high school kids that I'm coaching out here in Minnesota. You've got to establish a shot. You've got to have good, quick puck movement, and you've got to be ready. If that puck gets to you and the shot's open, you've got to take it. It's not like, oh, geez, shoot, I should have passed back door or made one more quick play. They're all just sharp. They're not just their puck movement, their body movement. They're moving to get open. There's constant motion. And when you get that constant motion, it makes it so hard on the penalty kill. So hard on the penalty kill. Obviously, the goalie, you want to try and disrupt him as much as possible. And Anders does a great job of that. And Brock gets in there. There's other guys that get in there, too, as long as they can disrupt that. But the big thing is, is just the constant motion and the movement with the puck. And it's quick. Being sharp and being ready. So, hey, if you get that puck and if Barzell gets that puck on the wall, nope, shot's not there. Boom. He makes a pass right away. It's not, he doesn't just grab it dust it off and try and kind of look around like the old school 80s power play that you know with Wayne and Mario at the, the those guys at their best where they could kind of just take their time and eventually somebody fall asleep like oh there's a backdoor goal that 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 doesn't work anymore now they've got to move the puck so quickly they've got to be ready for the puck moving coming back their way so if the shot is open they can take it and then once with that motion of the bo- of their bodies and the puck that's when the seams open up the, the pretty highlight film tic-tac-toe goals on the power play nowadays, they're just there because they happen to open up. Most of the time, they're not set plays. 
They're they're just they just yeah. you move the puck quick enough, all of a sudden a player gets out of gets out of position, boom, one's across the street, uh, across the seam, then the D man panics, then boom, backdoor goal. And that's what they're doing so well is they're just they're ready. They're 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 playing, they're moving the puck so quick, they're moving themselves so quick, but more importantly, they are ready when the puck comes to them to make the play they need to do. Yeah, and I think seeing where Barzal scored that three-two goal from, where he was you know ten feet in front of the net in the slot, mm-hmm. which is not really a spot that you ever see him in, especially on the power play. I think that you know, yeah. if you can be, be if you can be somewhere where where they don't expect you to be, right? Uh, that's obviously got to help too. Yeah, um, he read that play perfectly, and they yeah. they they found it, and it was perfect. Yeah, so then they tied it up on another um, turnover by the Flyers, and kind of a bad goal where. where Bovillia just drives the net and flings one and, and gets caught in Brian Elliott's skates. And it's the funny thing about the overtime was the Islanders are so good three-on-three. Three. That was probably their worst overtime of the year just because I think they <laughs> felt like, all right, well, what, you know, like, what do we do for an encore now? We just expended all our energy and we've got our, our key guys are coming out here three-on-three. Three. So there was a lot of – they weren't really finding a lot of plays to attack and they had to defend a little bit. It was a big play by Pollock to break up the two-on-one just before the horn. And then they come out in the shootout, and uh, and that was it was just to say you know Grice with a poke check on Giroux, which is kind of his signature move in the shootout, and and there it is the you know the streak goes to fourteen with thirteen wins they can tie the franchise record tonight in Pittsburgh at fifteen, um, and the fact that it's not it's not nine wins and five shootout losses or some <laughs> like this is a legit street you know obviously legit the, yes the game against pittsburgh a couple weeks ago they they coughed it up but uh but it's 13-0-1 is uh, is no joke and and seeing where they're sitting right now with with a lot of games in hand on everybody around them i think that's the that's the interesting part too is these games against pittsburgh this week they get three or four points out of this pittsburgh's going to be you know 10 points back of them and it's um you know once you get to that double digit Gap between you. I was going to say, say that again. (laughs) Pittsburgh's going to be like just that. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, it's uh, it was a wild week, and uh, and the Islanders just uh, the train keeps rolling. It's it's very impressive, and the belief uh, you can see it. uh, Their the body language. That's that's one of the first things I'm looking for as a former player. I'm looking at the body language. So how are guys skating off the ice? Uh, how are guys skating onto the ice? Is there are they talking? Are they, are they into the game? Is it intensity? Is it a frustration? Is it uh, are they having fun? And 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 that's the thing that that's just they're they're in business mode. Barry's done such a good job of getting them into taking care of business mode night in and night out that they're actually showing the best of that with with having fun about it too. I mean, you can see them coming onto the ice. They're talking about their their line cheer. Excuse me. They're talking about the face-off, whatever might be coming up. And you'll see Barzell smile or Bobo, yeah, like smile. Or Kennedy's like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. That, you know, and those little things. Uh, those are the little details that I miss so much about the game. It's like you can you can tell by the smirk that they got something up their sleeve and, and, and they have the confidence and, and the coaching is behind them and they have the skill and everything that, that it's working out so well for them right now. Uh, it's, and going off the ice, there's, there's, yeah, every now and then, hey, it's, it's a game you're going to get frustrated with your line mates. You're going to get frustrated with your teammates. So you're going to yell at them a little bit here and there, but nothing, nothing bad. Then you get to the bench and you can see them on the bench and they're all talking. Like the, the 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 way this team right now is is just a well oiled machine, and if Barry can keep them focused on continuing to not be satisfied, 
Don't be satisfied with a penalty kill. Don't be satisfied with the power play. Those are going to come down huge coming to the playoffs, as we all know. But as long as they can just continue to not be satisfied, continue to be prepared for every opponent, continue to just play for each other, which they're doing at such an early time this season, uh, I, I, I hate to say where my mind goes, but this is a this is a special time right now for this New York Islanders team. Before we get going uh, with more Islanders talk, uh, Mark, you know about DraftKings? I love DraftKings. <laughs> well, that's good because weekends are made for football. And with so many college and pro games on the slate, the DraftKings Sportsbook app can make your weekend even better. Actually, now that I think about it, with all the hoops and hockey action going on, the DraftKings Sportsbook app can get you in on the action 24-7, 365 days a year. DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. And with so much going on, they have great promotions running all month long. This week, DraftKings is running a special NFL insurance promo. Bet on a team to win, and if they score at least 24 points, your bet is safe. DraftKings will credit back your wager if your team goes on to lose. What do you think, Mark? Raiders, Jets? Someone's going to score 24 there, right? Well, the, the Raiders got to lose because the Jets are going to win, right? Wow. Yeah, you're, J-E-T-S, you're Jets, Jets, <laughs> Jets. Well, they've had a couple good weeks. I think, I think we can say that they might go over 24 there. And don't forget, the DraftKings Sportsbook app has in-game betting, so you can bet on the games while they're happening. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code QUICK. For a limited time, all new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. That's code QUICK for all new and existing users to get a deposit bonus up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey only. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So yeah, uh... We've talked about last week. Now we'll talk about uh, what's to come this week. Uh, Islanders are in Pittsburgh tonight, face the Sidney Crosby Les Penguins, who will then come to Brooklyn on Thursday. And then Saturday, the Islanders begin their, their annual California trip. Well, I, well, it's not always at the same time, but uh, their three game swing through, uh, through the California teams where there's, uh, there's some interesting hockey being played. Sharks seem to have gotten their footing a little bit. I think they've won six in a row right now. Ducks are. In the mix, playing playing better than people thought, and the Kings are uh, in a bit of disarray, but uh, but maybe a little bit better than everybody would have thought. So that'll be uh, those three will be interesting. But but focusing on on Pittsburgh, um, you know the Islanders have seen the Penguins a ton over the years. Uh, we talked about how they've had some bad games against the Flyers. They've had plenty <laughs> of bad ones against the Penguins, uh, memorable ones for sure uh, this decade and and beyond in the previous decade since the the Crosby and and Malkin eras began. And they've seen a lot of both those teams without either or both of those guys. When you're when you're going this hot like the Islanders are, and you're facing a team that's a little bit banged up um, and missing their clear best player, and also Chris Letang, their best defenseman, is it easy to say like, nah, you know, you know, just mentally you you sort of take it down a, a small notch, or do you feel like, as you were saying in the last segment, that that Barry has them operating at such a level that they understand that if they don't do what they need to do, it doesn't matter who they're playing. It 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 is easy to get stuck in that trap, and that's this is these are the moments, these are the times that Barry and his coaching staff earn their money because he's got to continue that that can continue in that mode where hey, it doesn't matter who we're playing, and that's what the great teams do. 
Uh, we talked to Shanahan and Eisenman from Detroit and, and, and Sackick and Colorado and all those guys that just went through uh, minor or, or not even so minor dynasties uh, as it went along. Uh, that's uh, Scotty Stevens in New Jersey. It was It's never about what the other team has. It doesn't matter who's injured, who, who doesn't matter who is playing. It's we go out and do our job. And that, and yes, it's partly players, but at the same time, it's the coaches that have to, that's the hard part for them right now is to keep them into it. Uh, Crosby out of the lineup, Latang out of the lineup, Malkin out of the lineup. It doesn't matter who's out of the lineup in Pittsburgh. This is still the NHL. This is still the best league in the world. And they're going to call up guys that, that are chomping at the bit to get an opportunity to become an everyday NHLer. So you have to compete against them, play against them, that, that they have a full lineup. And then the best way to do that is who cares about their full lineup? We play our best game possible. And then that's exactly how the best teams have always done it. And this lands on Barry and his coaching staff. They've done a great, great job though far, thus far. But yeah, it's it's a challenge for them because of that, because that uh, innate humane nature of ah, well, they're losing this guy, so we don't have to we don't have to press the gas pedal all the way down. We can coast through this because it's because it is 82 games, and that's the that's the challenge right there that the coaching staffs have always had to deal with when it comes to especially an elite group that is playing at a level where they're just that confident. Is overconfidence. Confidence is an amazing thing. Overconfidence can cost you series. <laughs> well, I mean, it, I think what helps in addition to the style the Islanders play and the way that they've won games is that game, the one blemish on this streak is that Pittsburgh game from, from Brooklyn a couple weeks ago where yep. 3 nothing lead going into the third period and Oof. Pittsburgh just steamrolled them. I mean, it, it, it looked like it could have been 7-3 Penguins after that third. So the Islanders, I kind of felt like they were lucky to get a point the way that they played that third period, and that was a team Agreed. that Sid was in that game, but he didn't do a whole lot because he clearly was compromised physically. Uh, Malkin had just come back, and he was a force. And Brian Rust, who's a guy, um, college teammate of Anders Lee's, uh, a guy who's just sort of, he's one of those guys. It was the Penguins don't really ever seem like a very deep team organizationally. They do make a ton of trades. Um, they're willing to sacrifice for the for the, the short term and success, and it certainly served them well over the course of the last uh, decade or so. But um, it is amazing to see that they've still got guys like Rust. They've got guys, uh, you know, they've got other unsung guys. I can barely think of anybody. Brandon Tanev seems to have yeah. fit in pretty well as a, as a hard-nosed guy who can also show a little skill. Um, and on that without... no namer Jake Gensel that scored four oh, goals yeah, that, last year and uh, led their Min- team. You and your Minnesota guys, <laughs> give it a rest. <laughs> yeah, he's good too. Um, but they they just seem to have these guys who show up. You know, I think that missing Latang from their D doesn't necessarily hurt them defensively. You know, when you've got no. a guy like Brian Dumoulin who's really established himself. Uh, as a as a good top pair defenseman, Marcus Pedersen seems to be pretty good, yep. and and that's the funny thing about this team. Through whether it was Malkin was out for three four weeks, Sydney's out now till probably the new year. This is a team, and to, to to Mike Sullivan's eternal credit, he's turned them into a defensive style team. They're second in the league in penalty kill. They're at eighty nine percent on the penalty kill. They're at fourteen and a half percent on the power play. And who would ever have thought a Penguins team would be operating that poorly on the power play? Yeah. And, you know, all the underlying metrics are this is a team that just tries to 
get the puck, shoot it on net, retrieve it, cause some havoc in the offensive zone, dig and dig and dig, and try to produce some wins. I mean, they, they tuned up the Leafs uh, after Toronto was was on the island, and that was uh, that was kind of a shocking one, a 6-1 win that Penguins had over the weekend. But, but in yeah. general... This Penguins team has sort of has become a, a bit reborn as a as a defensive style team, and, and as I said, Mike Sullivan, guy with two Stanley Cup rings, that most people think are due to his big name players. This guy is uh, he's a good coach, no. and I think he's he's done a lot with that team this year to try to keep them operating at a decent level in a division with arguably two of the best teams. It's uh, it's it's amazing what uh, what Sully has done, uh, what Rutherford has done. Uh, like they've the last like you said of the last decade they have become the ultimate plug and play yeah uh, it, it, the, the players that all of a sudden show up and play big roles whether it's uh, it's sheery now you know the, the, all these guys that have come and gone uh through free agency they've they've been able to keep this core this the battle wounded core that that they never seem to be able to actually have they can, they can never have Latang, Malkin and Crosby it, it seems like they can never have them all at once that's right. one of them always seems to be injured and, and the way that like I said Rutherford has found guys to plug in there whether it's the Gensels whether it's the the yeah it, you, no matter who it seems to be uh Tristan Jari uh you know like the, yeah. these guys that just that that Rutherford finds and then that Sullivan somehow can keep this group together with all those injuries and everybody just steps in and plays a role that nine times out of 10 is above their head that that it doesn't seem to to fit them they they should it's it's unfair to put these young guys in this position it and yet they prosper uh, it, it, it truly is incredible, and it, 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 it is like hats off to to Rutherford, hats off to Sullivan. Like they they've done an amazing job somehow keeping this team uh, still a contender. And, and to this day, when when we go out and work the NHL Network, when everybody when I, like it's funny that they have built this into our head. It's like the it's 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 the Devils of the '90s and early 2000s. Like you just can't count them out. Yeah. No matter what's yeah. against them, no matter how many guys they call up, no matter how injuries, you're kind of look at them. You're like, eh, it's still Pittsburgh, it's still <laughs> Pittsburgh. Like, yeah. come on, you can't vote against them. So it's it's really is amazing what they've done. And yeah, this home and home series is going to be a big one for the Islanders, regardless of who's in the lineup. Yeah, and it's uh, speaking of the lineup, uh, Otto Koivula made his NHL debut in Philly on Saturday. You know, played seven minutes, kind of filled that Cole Bardrow fourth line mm-hmm. center role and, and I thought he looked okay um had a little struggle there getting out for a solo lap Thomas Grice kind of swallowed him up to try to <laughs> get out there but uh I we were talking to Otto afterwards it's like he couldn't push Thomas out of the way he's like no too big and uh too big. And, and Otto's a big boy so uh that was uh that was funny and he's uh you know Koival is a, a, a really good young prospect and a good young person as well and he's kind of handled his shuttle back and forth between Bridgeport and Long Island very well where he you know kind of came down in an emergency capacity for about four games straight when they were down to the bare minimum 12 forwards and didn't seem like he was going to get in the game but now you know after seeing the Toronto game which was Leo Komarov's first game back after a long absence due to illness and a neck injury um, and kind of cobbling together a a third line with with Komarov and and Ross Johnston, um, I think they decided, at least for the short term, that they need somebody like a Bardrow or a Koivula. They need a, they need a guy who can play center 
to fill that that occasional, you know, play four, three or four shifts in the middle of each period. Get your feet wet, you know, show yourself, show that you can be responsible and play the system and then get off the ice. And that's not, uh, you know, it's not going to showcase anybody's offensive upside. And this is a kid in Koivalu at 21 goals last year for Bridgeport in his first year in North America. So we know he can play. But um, but it is interesting to see the philosophy of the of the Islanders until Matt Martin's back uh, and they can start to to slot those you know become go back to being a four line team and the Toronto game yeah. they tried to put they put Broussard back at center for about a period and a half and it just didn't work five on five because Broussard's yeah. been playing so well on that on the wing on that second line so it's yep. a bit of meatball surgery with that fourth line but uh, but I think Koivula is going to get going to get a couple of games here at least at least one tonight to see. Um, see if he can handle whether he steps on the ice when Malkin's out there or, or you know, any of these other hard-nosed Penguins forwards. He's uh, He's got a chance to show that he he can fill this role. Yeah, and that's the uh, and that's the fun part for uh, fans too. Uh, you're, you're getting to see the learning process from the organization as well. We're we're, we're wondering what's going to happen when he steps on the ice again in those situations and seeing what kind of player he's going to be. It's it's one of the uh, it's one of my favorite things about now being an older guy and watching these guys like, all right, kid. let's see what you do in this situation facing off against Malkin or you know whatever it is like those are those are the little moments uh that that I appreciate and and remember most of all watching these youngsters get that opportunity yeah it's uh and gotta mention Garth Snow's name again this Otto Koivula 120th overall in 2016 this uh if he starts to establish himself as a regular in these next couple years you're looking at um kind of a, a pretty big slice of this core are guys that are homegrown, which is always nice, but, but fines too, like 120th yeah. overall, Devon Taves, uh, fourth rounder, Adam Pellick, third rounder. I mean, Adam Pellick has been their best defenseman pretty much from the start of the season to right now. He's, he's stepped into a different level than he has in previous years. Lights out. Um, so, th- so there are guys that are first rounders that are, you know, that are the big name guys, um, at least, as far as prospects are concerned, but then there are these these other under the radar guys, and I think even looking at Bridgeport, it's really struggled this year because the Islanders have kind of uh, you know scraped out whatever talent that they've had and, and needed them because of all the injuries. But um, but it's it's interesting to see even a guy like Simon Holmstrom, who was their first round pick, twenty third overall, it was a, an eighteen year old just turned eighteen year old Swedish forward that hadn't barely even played in Sweden's top league because of injuries last year and they pick him 23rd and here he is he's staying in North America playing in Bridgeport he's got three goals the team is not doing very well but um, but again here's a guy who instead of going back to Sweden and seeing what he can do over the course of a couple of years he's closer to the NHL he's closer to the organization they want to be able to develop guys the right way uh, and it's not a guy that anybody had in a first round projection so they're credit to and it's still Garth Snow's development and and draft yeah. staff that are Working under Lou Lamarillo, so uh, just want to make sure because since I know Garth is a is a paid subscriber and listens avidly to this avid show, listener, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure that we give him his due, finding some of these diamonds in the rough and and his scouting staff led by Trent Clatt. Uh, he's from Minnesota, I hear. Oh, and, uh, I know Clatter too. And uh, Velo Kautinen, who's uh, their head amateur scout from over in in Europe, who has identified a lot of these these uh, European guys like Koivula, like Sebastian Aho like Simon Holmstrom, um, it's uh, it's impressive to see. And, and now Koivula, who, 
you know, even before last season when he decided to come over, I don't think they knew what they had in him. And now here he is playing a second NHL game. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, those darn goalies. I mean, you can say a lot about them, but I guess they find a good scouting staff. I mean, to be honest, he probably, you know, his, his experts just said we should take this guy. And he was probably like on his phone playing, you know, checkers or something and said, ah, sure. Why not? But, uh, (laughs) anyway, um, so they've got Pittsburgh back to back and then off to California. And, uh, I actually, one of my first, well, I went on the California trip. It was very early last year, uh, in October. And, um, there have always, you know, the California trip has been kind of not make or break for the Islanders because in my time covering them, there's been a lot more break than make over the years. Uh, and uh, historically, in the last decade, those three California teams have been solid teams. It's hard to it's hard to sweep, very hard to sweep. It's hard to even get four or five points out of that trip. Um, I believe the Islanders got two last year. They played a pretty poor game in Anaheim. Uh, went up to San Jose and lost, and then came down to L.A. and dominated the Kings. But we, as it turned out, the Kings stunk last year, so didn't didn't quite carry the value that you'd think it would. Um, but that California trip can always be uh, can always be an interesting one, and and it's really that kind of their first extended road trip. When you and Barry's talked about it too, that when you start the season at home with a bunch of games, and the Islanders, I think, have played twelve of their first eighteen at home, you can get a little stale. Um, you can get a little stale going too much one way or too much the other way, but usually at home because guys are in their own beds, everybody's feeling very relaxed. You're in your family routine, you're in your work routine, and it, you know you're not maybe not on that edge that you need to be on. And the Islanders are nine two and one in their in those first twelve home games, which is uh, which is a pretty strong start. And the Islanders historically, I don't even know if it was the case when you were here, but they seem to have always had a very home heavy October and early November. Um, and it doesn't always work out that well, but uh, you can correct me on that record from your time. If, no, if you want. Yeah, it's, oh, you, 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 yeah, you're right. It, it can be difficult, but, you know, kind of, you, you kind of get stuck with that home cooking. I didn't want to say stuck with that home cooking because my wife was an amazing cook, but good uh, save. The, thank you. But you, you get to, you know, you get to a point where you kind of need to get out on the road. You got to uh, out with the boys, get on the road with the team. And I, I like how, uh, they've got how it's set up. So they're they're at home against Pittsburgh Thursday. Uh, we got Friday off, Saturday, Monday, Wednesday games. So it's it's a day off in between. So this is a good opportunity for the coaching staff to really kind of keep that team involvement. You do some team meals. So okay, we got a game on Thursday. Uh, tough decision. I wouldn't fly all the way out to California Thursday night because that's not <laughs> red eye. I'd let the boys get some sleep, fly out maybe after practice Friday, but then they go out of, they've got to play right away Saturday, San Jose. And then Sunday's off, Monday, Anaheim. Tuesday's off, LA, Wednesday. So the way it's set up is, yeah, it's a tough travel day or a tough travel week, I should say, especially with that Friday travel day all the way out from the East Coast. It can be anywhere from, I don't know, depending on the jet stream, four to six hours. Uh, And so you've got to get that into it right away. So if we can get in right away Friday night, have a team dinner on the road. Then we got a game Saturday night. 
Well, then do another team dinner on Sunday night. It, you don't, they don't really get a chance to, yes, you, it, it's nice. It's going out west anytime in November, December is nice. That temperature, you know, going straight up to the 60s and 70s is a pretty great feeling for a hockey, t- hockey player. And, and the way that they can set it up is, is they can help bond on the road. That's where you really learn to bond as a team is you do like team dinners. Uh, and the way it's spread out, it's not multiple days in between. It's it's every other game, so every other night. So you get out there, you do a team dinner, and it just helps to bond everybody together. So I think that's kind of a great time for it. It's a difficult turnaround for the team. I'm not gonna lie. It's it's that's tough to play it to play. You got Tuesday, Thursday, home and home with Pitt, and then all of a sudden Saturday, you're in San Jose. That's a tough turnaround, but. That's the kind of things that help bond the team. That's like, hey, we get out there, boys. Let's play simple. We, we don't have to put on a show. Let's just, you know, weather the storm of San Jose right now. We know they're playing pretty well. Like, let's just go out there and play the game. Turn around, go back to the hotel, have a team meal. Sunday night, have another team meal together. Talk about whatever's going on. Monday, you play. Turn right around Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday of play. So the way it sets up is a good opportunity for the coaching staff to to help kind of to bind this team together. It's not like a normal West Coast trip where you've got a couple days in between. I've been a part of those so many times where you've got like two days in between and then another two days in between. And then guys just kind of go off and do their own thing because, hey, it's California and you kind of want to go see the spots <laughs> and see the sites and check it out. And you can, you know, you, you don't have to have a team dinner. I like the way this setup. It's a tough setup, but it's a good setup for these guys, especially when you look down the road, you look at the playoffs when it's going to be something like this, if they do make it as far as we want them to. Then they've got to learn like, hey, like here's this is we've got a day here. Like this is all about us. This isn't about what we can do and what we can see in California. This is about us and how much damage we can do in California as a hockey team. I thought you were going to say like hotel room damage. That that would be <laughs> Hey, we're not Motley Crue here. <laughs> all right. Before we get started again, talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it after this hockey game. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com Belmont and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com Belmont to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Belmont for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash Belmont. All right. Well, we've talked about what happened last week, what's to come this week, and a little bit into the following week. Uh, just wanted to talk about now um, Josh Bailey, who just I just posted a story 
earlier today about him uh, moving into fifth place all time on the Islanders with 815 games played. Tonight will be 816. And um, a guy whose career has had some had some different segments to it, I guess you could say. And, and certainly a guy who's taken a lot of grief from Islander fans over the years. And um, they're the only ones who care quite as much, I guess, after <laughs> Josh was picked ninth overall in 2008, came into a situation that was not great as an 18-year-old and didn't flourish for a long, long time. I mean, he was a solid contributor. He was a, a, more of a third-line center slash wing. You know, he played a lot with, with Kyle Pozo that and Blake Como that first year, first couple of years. He was, uh, you know, when the Islanders started to get a little better, when Tavares was established as the top-line guy, he was a – a pretty frequent wing with with Franz Nielsen and Michael Grabner, um, which is a, a line that provided some offense but wasn't really counted on for offense. It was more of a checking line. So his numbers weren't great. And then when Kyle Poso leaves in 2000, the summer of 2016, Franz Nielsen leaves in 2016, those were John Tavares' wingers uh, for the last couple of years for the most part. So he j- Josh jumps up, plays top line, 56 points uh, in 2016-17, 71 in 2017-18, his first all-star appearance at age 28. And now, uh, even with Tavares gone, he's keeping up the same pace. And it's uh, it's it's an interesting career to look at, and I, and I thought it was a just an interesting story. I had kind of thrown it out to some of my athletic colleagues to think of a player who's had two such distinct acts in their career production-wise. <laughs> And I got Brad Marchand, and I, you know, that's not a bad one, but he's a guy. It's okay. It's yeah, okay. He, he uh, yeah, was, yeah, I'm, was, I'm okay with that one. Yeah, I get a, that. He was a, he maybe a little bit more skilled than Josh, and certainly on teams that were more consistently good than the Islanders. And I think that that I think you can accept the production of of a 40, 50 point guy who then becomes yep. an 80, 90 point guy with the team is always consistently good. Blake Wheeler was another one, but I think that was a different scenario because. It was really when he was traded into the Atlanta slash Winnipeg organization from Boston that he started to take on a different role, and I think that that's something that happens more frequently. But but the you know another interesting thing is Josh this year has six goals in eighteen games. He's on pace for tw- for twenty four, I guess. If he scores twenty, to be a first career twenty goal season at age thirty and almost you know over eight hundred games into his career, and that one that I was doing a little bit of digging. That one's harder to find, um, and it's just it's it's fascinating to me that you can, you know, and, and Josh is a really really unassuming guy. Like he he's very focused. I'm I, I had a quote from Greg Nemus, who was uh, one of his teammates in junior, his his big breakout year before he was drafted ninth overall, who said, uh, you know, when guys some guys say, you know, I don't read all that stuff about me, and you're not really sure if they're telling the truth. He's like with Josh, I 100% believe that he doesn't pay any attention to it, and that doesn't mean that his family members. I've had plenty of conversations with his with his younger brother and with his <laughs> folks about some of the hate that Josh has gotten online over the years. And as yeah. with any family member, you, they're not happy about it. And I think it started to calm down an awful lot with the last few years that he's had, but. Um, but it, it always seemed kind of inordinate the amount of grief that he got, and now um, and now he's just sort of settled in, and he's he's on his way. You know, he's got four years left on his deal, and he, you know, he's starting tonight on the left wing with Sizikis and Clutterbuck in essentially a third fourth line spot, and he's willing to do anything, and that uh, yeah. I think that that can add to your longevity. One hundred percent. I've, I've uh, just listening to you. Uh, there was a few names that 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 kind of ran across my. Uh, brain there it was uh you know like brett hull uh why yeah. couldn't he find a spot 
You know, they, they, they couldn't find a spot for him to score goals, and all of a sudden he gets to his position. Uh, Marty St. Louis. Uh, yeah. There are certain guys that they, they need to be put in a certain spot to to succeed, and then finally, once they get that spot. But the the one the one name that that just kept scrolling across was Ray Whitney. Uh, yeah, in Edmonton, and certainly longevity. And, right, he just kind of. Uh, he, he had his game and he was, he was there. He was trying to find it. He just needed an opportunity. And it's, it's difficult. The hard thing about, uh, I'm assuming it's all pro sports, but hockey, it's, it's not just getting a top six role. It's, it's, it's getting a top six forwards with guys that you can play against that, that they're cerebral. All those players are cerebral and they think the game as well as their skill. And if they can't find someone that they can think the game with, then they, they struggle to kind of just find their own game. And now going back into, uh, like what you said, now you put him with Sezikis and Clutterbuck. He is, now he has found his game. He is, he's so confident in his game that now it doesn't matter who you put him with. Right. He knows he belongs. He knows he can play this game. He knows he can finish. He knows he can be a playmaker. What does this line need me to do how can i make this line that i'm on successful so that's the beauty of josh bailey is is his evolution as a hockey of a hockey player uh his hard work his 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 hockey iq is off the charts and that's been his way that's he's just somehow been able to mold against however whoever he's playing with whether it's uh he was a big power play guy with Tavares and Barzell or whether he was, you know, he's now he's on the wing with Sezikis and Clutterbuck. It doesn't matter to him now. He's found his game and he has confidence that he can morph it into whatever the team needs. Yeah. It's uh it's been an interesting transformation and, uh, and we'll finish on one other uh, veteran player who had some was in the news this past week. Andrew Ladd was put on waivers and sent to Bridgeport. Yep. Um, it's been a mess, quite frankly, since he signed the deal. And we go back to that July 1st, 2016, when, when Opozo and Nielsen left. And, and, you know, sadly for both of those guys, and it's more been more injury-related for, for Kyle, and he's got another concussion now, which is an awful, yeah. awful experience yes. for him. Um, uh, and Franz Nielsen is, you know, he's still, a, still a, a useful player, but on a Detroit team that doesn't seem to have a lot of uh, direction right now. Uh, probably not the most useful guy, and I don't think I think he still has no points in sixteen or seventeen games, which uh, is very unlike Nielsen. So that yep. that July first, two thousand sixteen, was momentous around the league, and very much so for the Islanders because those two cornerstone guys left. They went out and tried to make a big splash. Andrew Ladd came in, uh, and almost immediately, you know, had some back issues. Ended up with twenty three goals that first year. Uh, the next year, I think he ended up with 16, uh, again, with some back issues. And then last year, a year that I've said, I think we've said here a lot, a guy that is a Barry Trotz kind of guy. He likes veterans yeah. who are strong positionally, have a little bit of snarl to their game, doesn't worry so much about the scoring. He was Andrew Light could finally be on a team where people were, might not be looking at the contract. They're just looking for a guy to fill a good role. Hurts, you know, torn meniscus, costs him a few months. He comes back, plays okay, torn ACL. And now there's just no spot for him. You know, Lou Lamarillo was, was yeah. pretty was pretty candid last week, saying we we need to see more uh, more from him in terms of strength and and how he can play. Yeah. And for now, that's going to be in Bridgeport indefinitely. And I, you know, they, they've they've been pretty banged up, obviously, in the big clubs. So you can't 
ever say he won't be back, but but with three more years left at 5.5 million cap hit, um, it's uh, it seems like we're in the kind of Wade Redden territory <laughs> now, where will we, you know, will this just be an automatic? He stays there the rest of the year, and then next season at training camp, he's he's with the the guys that aren't in the main group, and then he just goes straight on waivers the first opportunity. I, you know, and I, I know you haven't been in that exact situation, but you've been a veteran, very similar <laughs> veteran, a veteran in the minors. And what's how do you how do you reclaim your your confidence and your pride when you're down there? It's really hard. It's it's really 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 hard. I've you know I know ladder. Uh, knowing him, he used to come out to Minnesota. We skated together back in my prime for crying out loud. <laughs> and um, it, it, the the hard part about being a professional athlete is we all have a shelf life. We all accept that we have a shelf life, but we don't know when it's going to expire. We don't know. Uh, m- more often than not, it's the body that gives away uh, the brain, the the mentality. <laughs> The mental aspect of the game, uh, we, 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 we truly believe we can do it until we're 100, which just tells you how <laughs> mentally kind of messed up we are. But that, that's, we truly believe like we have that confidence in ourselves and, and in our ability. Um, but it starts to hit before we're ready for it. And, and whether it's injuries, whether it's physical, uh, I had both physical and uh, some concussion stuff, but at the same time, I truly believed I could keep playing. <laughs> and that's kind of the messed up part of it where I know for a fact, Andrew, uh, and, and we can even move on to Corey Schneider in New Jersey. Like they right. have 100% confidence in their ability to play the game. Uh, it, it's going to take a little bit of while. It like take a little bit of time to actually realize, like, oh crap, these young guys are better than I am, or, or they are faster than I am. It's it's there's a shelf life that just takes time. Uh, usually, uh, usually the the league, especially co- a coach like Barry, a general manager like Lou, guys that have been around the game, they've gone through this process multiple multiple times as opposed to where a player just goes through it once so you you don't really understand what you're going through you don't see it uh now looking back uh on my career uh oh i totally understand what they saw (laughs) (laughs) i really do i totally understand it but when you're when you're in the mix of it when you when you're still especially there's a lot of pride uh you know we have pride in ourselves we have pride in our game we have pride in our team we have pride in our family so like we we're like no 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 i signed this contract i'm going to see this contract through i'm going to see this contract through well sometimes that's just not the way it works out uh the game kind of just passes you by before you even realize it hopefully uh these guys can can just stay around and what i loved uh about once i finally realized it and it was uh uh uh, no, uh, Dallas, 2009. Um, there was just a couple moments where all of a sudden I was off sides with the puck and I couldn't figure out why everybody else was so much faster than me. <laughs> like there was kind of moments like that, that like, you know what? Hey, if I can keep playing in the American league, uh, you know, with contracts, if I can still help out and be kind of the, uh, player coach, the Reg Dunlop, and help these kids along. I, I I turned and started to enjoy that more than actually if I would go out there and score a goal and maybe have a chance to get back to the NHL because I finally realized that that wasn't going to happen. 
But that being said, it's it's a very difficult transition, and these guys are right in the middle of it. Can they make it back? Yes. Uh, here and there it's happened, uh, few and far between. But at the same time, it, accepting their role and helping the guys in the minors, helping the guys in Bridgeport, uh, that could be a more long-lasting role. Now watching, uh, you know, friends like, well, have my old friend in Binghamton, Robin Leonard, and Mike Hoffman now in Florida. Robin Leonard, obviously, last year with the Islanders, and now is in Chicago. Uh, you know, getting to know those guys, Mark Borovitsky, uh, one of the captains in Ottawa, uh, helping those kids, helping those guys along in their career became my goal as opposed to scoring the game winner. I enjoyed that part. So hopefully... Uh, there can be some kind of balance found with those players because it's 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 very 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 hard to accept that your career is over in your 30s. It just really is. Bottom line. Yeah, and and I think the the contractual obligations to to Lad going forward, it's it's going to be interesting. You know, I don't think we're staring That's at a tough. situation. That's where a lot of yeah. Oof. It's a lot of it's a lot of dough and it's a lot of cap space and yeah. We'll see where we'll see where it goes. Well, yeah. As always, my friend, it's good to have you back. Feels a little bit more natural and normal. Even though we've, only, <laughs> we've only done about 15 of those, but uh, <laughs> good job you, as buddy. always. Thank you. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening. This is No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. We'll catch you again next time.